And one of the reasons that I was very thankful was because I did not have to do a video sermon. I, I was not a big fan of video sermons. I was not a fan of them at all. I, I didn't even like them with green eggs and ham. Um, did not like them at all. I, they just were really not fun. I, I, I don't enjoy speaking in a room by myself with nobody else around. That's really strange. And uh, Somebody asked me, they said, what does it feel like to have a, like a three-month vacation where you did less work? And I said, actually, with a video sermon, I actually, actually was in the office more than before. Uh, not only do I have to prepare for the sermon, which takes a long time, but then I had to then do the sermon, record the sermon, then I had to go back and listen to the sermon, edit the sermon. I had to make sure all the colors were right, all that other stuff. So it ended up being longer, and I'm just very thankful I don't have to do that anymore. But there is one thing about a sermon, a video sermon, that I do miss, that I wish I could do in real time, but I can't. So I had an opportunity when I would preach. I would preach the sermon, and most of those sermons were about two hours by the time I got done, all of the content that was out there. And then I had to edit and I got a chance to go, you know what, that probably is not the best illustration. That's not the best sentence. That's not the best word usage. And I cut out entire paragraphs, entire pages of notes, just saying, I, I didn't think that was the right thing to say. I, I probably could say that better. And I, I learned a little trick. I uh, would put the verse, that verse slide. Normally, when you saw that verse slide, that meant I was just dubbing in something that I didn't say in the first video but I just spoke into a microphone and dubbed it in. It was great. And I wish I could still do that. I wish I, wish I could preach a sermon live, but stop it and edit and then hit publish and then it come out. And everybody hears. And I'm sure all of us go, that would be incredible if we could do that in real life. Imagine if we had a time machine and we could do that. You know how many, you know how many conversations in my life I wish I could go back to and go, yeah that wasn't the best thing to say then. And I'm sure all of us are thinking of conversations that we've had in the past, maybe this past week, maybe this morning, um, that we said something and we go, oh, I really wish I could have chosen my words wisely and, and I, could have, I, I wish I could change what was said. It, it's true, and the scriptures talk a lot about the words that we say. And, and wasn't it James who said we're able to tame a whole bunch of animals? but we have not been able to tame the tongue. This morning, we're going to talk about a wise person. We're going to look at a wise person, and we're going to look, and we're going to see that a wise person is able to choose their words wisely. So we're going to be talking about how we talk and the things that we say. And in choosing our words wisely, I would say that there is at least three things that we need to consider The first thing we need to consider in choosing our words wisely is that we need to be careful. We're going to see this in Proverbs 12, verses 15 through uh, 18. We're going to see that we need to stop and think about what we're saying, and we better make sure that the things that we're saying come from wise counsel, namely God's word, and they promote Jesus Christ. That we need to actually know something before we say something, and the thing that we say is we stop and think and say, are these the right words in the right way? Am I saying these things reasoned, or am I just flying off the handle? So the first thing we're going to see is that 
a wise speech and choosing our words wisely comes very carefully. Secondly, what we're going to see in verses 19 through 22 is that if we're going to choose our words wisely, we need to be honest. We need to be truth tellers. As Christians, we should not be afraid of the truth. And there's a lot of things that the Bible talks about. And you know what? If we just talk about the truth and we say truthful things, it'll line up with the scriptures. So we need to make sure that we are truth tellers, that we're honest. And then lastly, in choosing our words wisely, to choose our words wisely, we need to have discernment. Sometimes choosing our words wisely is not just, is this the right word and the right spirit given? Am I telling the truth? But sometimes choosing the right word means I'm not saying a word at all, right? Sometimes silence is the best noise we can make. So, I'm sure that none of us are really looking forward to this because all of us are going to have a whole bunch of face-palming moments of, oh man, I did that this morning. I did this this past week. But it's important for us as believers to think about and scrutinize the way that we talk so that the words that we say are wise, edifying, and promote Jesus Christ and truth found in his word. So let's look at this first one found in Proverbs 12, verses 15 through 18. And we're going to talk about choosing our words carefully. And this is part of wisdom. So notice what he says here in verse 15. It says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. So in this section, in verses 15 through 18, you, you get these verses that are connected, and they talk about the speech, but uh, there's, there's a lot that goes on before a word is even spoken. And so you're going to see this idea that a wise man is one who listens to counsel, and his words are measured by that counsel in verse 15. In verse 16, you're going to see that a wise man doesn't necessarily expose his anger. He doesn't expose his irritation. He's, he, he's a little bit more withdrawn and guarded about the things he says. And so there's this stopping for a moment, not, not speaking out of passion. Verse 17, we're going to see this idea of, uh, in, in legal terms, we're going to say what's right. We're going to share the truth, and, and, and uh, especially when it's a serious case. And then we're going to see in verse 18, notice how the carefulness of the, of the words of the wise, the wise are those who are edifying. But just think of verse 15 here. Think of, think of what Solomon says. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. So when a fool looks at himself, and remember a fool is a person who does not listen to God's word, does not take God seriously, does not think about who God is, and does not, is not concerned about God's will. Right? That's what we're talking about, a fool here. We're not just talking about somebody who runs their mouth. Now, that is foolish. Right? We can all agree that's foolish. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an overlap between the fool in the book of Proverbs and people who do foolish things. There's an overlap. But remember, the binding concept of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. Understanding this underlying, I must take God seriously, And every verse must be read, and every principle must be understood with 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so when one is listening to counsel, it's listening to counsel that is in accordance with the fear of the Lord. And when there's a fool, here this would be somebody that opposes the fear of the Lord and opposes the knowledge of God. And so since this fool is not consulting God, when he thinks about what is right, what is ethically right, what is ethically good, the fool looks to himself. Notice what he says. It says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. He looks at his ways, he looks at his words, he looks at his decisions, and he goes, I am the zenith of ethics. I am the ethical standard that everyone else should live up to. Everything that he does, everything that he, he sees in his life, he, he looks through the lens of, I am right. Now, this is a dangerous attitude, regardless, right? No one should ever have this attitude. And if we have this attitude, you're going to be in a world of hurt, right? This type of arrogance and narcissism and just not being teachable is very dangerous in anyone's life. But think about this in relationship to the Lord. How many people do we know that think that they are right? Or, or this is also as equally as foolish, looking at another human being and listening to what another human being says is correct and saying, well, that's the ethical standard. Or, or this is also as equally as foolish as saying there's a group of smart men who say this is what's ethically right. And I'm going to listen to what these group of men say is ethically right. That is also as equally as foolish as not consulting God's word and looking at Jesus Christ and listening to counsel from people that are saying, what does God have to say? What's the nature of God? What's the character of God? What did Jesus Christ do in this situation? What did the apostles say in this situation? We must realize that it is always foolish to think about ethics and what is right and wrong outside of what the Bible teaches, outside of the example of Christ and outside of the example of the apostles. And so here, when, when I see a fool does what's right in his own eyes, there's almost like this neon blinking light of somebody just saying, I don't care what God has to say. It's only what I think is right is right. It's really sad when you look through the Old Testament and you look in the New Testament, you look in our own lives, but specifically in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, the last sentence of the book of Judges really tells us a lot about what was happening in Israel. And it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. And when you look at that, you go, of course, and you see the, the downgrade of society, and you see how the, here's these Jews, and, and, and here they are going into their promised land, and, and they finally are given the promised land in the spiritual degeneration. And it's all because they have moved away from God's word. They moved away from thinking of God's character, of his will, and started to say, I determine what is right. Or we collectively as humans determine what is right. Or that human over there determines what is right. Only a fool will say these things. And only a fool will then speak from what he thinks is right. But notice what a wise man does in verse 15. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And the question is, what kind of advice is he listening to? And, and, and he listens to counsel before he speaks. What, what kind of counsel is he listening to? Well, this would be none other than the word of God itself. I mean, James tells us almost the same exact thing. Go with me to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1, it says almost the same thing. James chapter 1, verse 19. In fact, in fact, it's such a close parallel that it, that it almost leads me to believe that James might have even been thinking about the very text that we're talking about right now when he wrote James 1.19 through the, the following chapter. Notice what he says. He says, This you know, my beloved, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, in the moment, we think our anger does achieve the righteousness of God, right? There's plenty of times where we don't listen, we speak way too fast, we get very angry, and we feel like we're justified in being angry. And if I lash out against somebody and I tell them off, they will receive it as if it's the word of God, and everybody will repent, and Satan will move to Mexico, right? That's, that's the idea, right? But that's not what happens. It's the opposite, right? We need to be, make sure we're listening, make sure that we're not saying too many things, definitely be slow to anger, realizing that my anger does not achieve what I think it will, So notice what he says in verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself a doer of the word and not merely a hearer who deludes himself. So think of this. When when James is talking about listening, what, what, what in his mind is he talking about listening? Is he just saying as just as far as just practicality goes, you should probably listen more than you speak? Maybe. But it almost seems as if what he's talking about is listening to God's word. Don't be, don't be too quick to harp on our own spirituality, right? Maybe we should listen to God's word before we speak. And maybe, maybe we should, we should uh, spend time consulting the word of God. And I think that's really what he's getting at here of this listening, be quick to listen and slow to speak. When it comes time for God's word, we must be careful that we're listening to what God has to say and not trying to make God say our thoughts, but let God speak for himself. And I think, I think that's kind of the similar statement here that's made in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, but a wise man listens to counsel. It's listening to God's word. It's thinking about Christ. It's, it's, contemplating, it's contemplating how Jesus would have acted in this situation, how the apostle Paul would, would react in this situation. What, is, what does Paul say to some of the churches? What does Peter say? What does John say? It's, a, it's taking into consideration God's word. Now, if, if you do take yourself very seriously and think of yourself as always being right, then verse 16, it probably also describes you. Notice what he says, a fool's anger is known at once. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? A fool's anger is known at once. The word here for anger is kind of the word for like an explosion. In fact, many Hebrew grammarians say that this language here of a fool's anger is known at once is very much like a wounded animal. I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with an animal that was hurt and, and you were trying to help that animal that was hurt. It doesn't matter what animal that is. It is always a very dangerous situation, right? Even if it's a little chihuahua dog that really can't do much damage, if it's hurt and you're trying to help it, it will attack you. Now, it won't kill you, obviously, but it will attack you. And so the idea is why would, why would an animal attack when it's hurt? Because it assumes that you coming up to it, you are trying to kill it. So it sees it as a matter of life and death. And so the sense that one gets here is that a fool 
when he is irritated, always treats that irritation as a matter of life and death, and that he must fight tooth and nail for himself. That is incredibly foolish. And nine times out of ten, how, how, where do they, how, why would they argue this way? Well, they argue this way because all of their ways are right in their own eyes. They always are right. And so for them, it is a matter of establishing that I'm right. But notice, what a, notice what, what, what a person who chooses their words carefully does. Notice how somebody who, who, who has a wise pattern of speech, it says, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. So the one man lashes out and immediately just explodes on people, just, just a volcanic eruption of words and anger, right? That's what a fool does. What does a, what does a, a, a prudent man do? He conceals it. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the prudent man isn't irritated. It doesn't mean that the prudent man isn't offended. There are, things, there are times where prudent people are offended. It's just that the way that they handle it does not cause dishonor. So think of this. Think of our Savior. Remember when he went into the temple and he saw people selling, taking advantage of the worshipers there who were coming to pray and, and get right with the Lord? And what, what were the leaders doing, the religious leaders doing? They were picking up the price of the, of, the, uh, of the sacrifices that had to, be, had to be sacrificed in the temple, and they were exchanging money, and the exchange rate was crazy. So they would say, you come into the temple, you have to buy this animal for a sacrifice. And they say, well, how much money is it? Well, they say, this is how much money it is. And they say, well, here's the money. And they go, sorry, that money's no good. You have to buy a special temple coin. And they would charge way over for the temple coin, and then they would pay them the equivalency. And so basically what happened was the temple was getting rich, and Jesus comes in and sees this practice and is furious. So what does he do? He reacts in an honorable way for an honorable reason. He kicks them out, yelling, this place is a place of prayer and of worship, and you're turning into a den of robbers. That is a, an appropriate response from a prudent person who is measuring their reaction with God's word, with what is true, with what is right. That's the example of Jesus Christ. There are numerous examples in our own life and in the life of the, of the Bible of, or in the words of the scriptures of people who react and they immediately just have this volcanic anger, right? They lash out. One example is Moses, when God tells him to speak to the rock, and what does he do? He hits the rock because of the complaining of the people. So, notice that a prudent person conceals dishonor. He acts in a way according to God's word, according to God's character, according to God's will. He's cool and collective. He's not, he's not flying off the handle. Notice what else is said here in verse 17. It says, he who, spe- he who tells the truth, uh, or he who speaks truth tells what is right. But a false witness, deceit. Now, that Solomon will talk more about honesty here in a second. But it is interesting, the, the, the words that are used in verse 17. Here in verse 17, the words that are used are in a legal setting. Almost as if somebody who speaks in a trial. And so it speaks about somebody who tells the truth, or if we could say the truth another way, we would say, what actually is, that's a, probably a good definition of the truth, reality, what is, right? And so for us who are biblical, what is? What is reality? 
What God says is reality. This is reality. The scriptures tell us the reality of things. But in, in, a, in a legal setting, it's somebody who speaks up and says, this, this is what happened. And there's no embellishing. There's no leaving out of things. It is saying the truth as it is. Sometimes this is kind of hard for us in, in, our, in our world, in our legal system, to, to truly understand the dynamics here found in, in the ancient world and at the time of Solomon. In the time of Solomon, most legal cases were handled at the gate of the city by a group of city elders and was done publicly in front of everyone. And most of the time, what would happen is somebody who's accusing someone else would bring that person to the city gate in front of the elders and then give the accusation. And after the accusations were made, then it was asked, who here has something to say about this case? And then anyone who was there could stand up and speak either against or for. And, and it, they re, that was kind of how they did their, their justice. And so here the sense is, the one who speaks what is right, and, and because Solomon uses that word false witness, it's kind of in a legal term, so it's kind of like somebody who's, who's sitting there at the, at the gate and they hear this accusation and they, they step up and they say, well, this is the truth. This is what happened. Regardless of the outcome, they, they say what is right. Notice the false witness who doesn't think carefully. This false witness who's a fool, who is willing to see himself as the ethical standard for all people, who is immediately angry and lashes out at people for his own for his own gain, when he then stands up in a situation of a legal matter, is, should we expect him to say the truth? Of course not. This person only thinks about himself and how he can gain. So is he willing to bend the truth, leave out facts? Of course. That's the point here. He's not carefully thinking about what happens in a society when you stand in a court case and don't tell the truth, what that does to justice, what that does to everyone around him, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what God says. He doesn't care that God's a God of truth. He doesn't care about reality and what is right. To him, he himself is what is right. His success is seen as the ultimate success. So he's not going to measure his words. His words are, what is good for me? In fact, you almost get that sense by the next verse. Notice the next verse, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly. You can almost see that, right? Somebody who's right, who thinks they're right in their own eyes, gets irritated anytime somebody disagrees, or they get irritated and they lash out anytime they're irritated. They're willing to lie to get somebody in trouble, and their words are somebody who's speaking rashly like thrusts of a sword. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a difficult time saying somebody picks up a sword and starts swinging it at other people and thrusting it at other people out of love. I, I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody pick up a sword and swing it at somebody else's head saying, I love you. I'm doing this for your own good. And everybody goes, yeah, that's for their own good. You always pick up a sword and thrust it at somebody because you want to hurt them. I don't know the case in the Bible or in reality. I suppose... We might come up with some sort of cartoon or some sort of abstract example. But most of the time when we get the idea of a sword being thrust at somebody, and when you add in then the idea of rashly, indiscriminately, somebody just coming 
like a crazy man with a saber coming at somebody. They are trying to hurt someone. They are trying to maim someone. They're trying to kill someone. And so you think about this, this fool, and, and there's one who's willing to say whatever, willing to hurt whoever, willing to, they don't care what they say, they don't care how they say it, as long as the other person is hurt. And if there's other collateral damage, who cares? You almost get the sense of somebody who says, I'm going to say what I think, I'm going to say what I think is right, what I think is right in the right moment, and I don't care if you like it or don't like it. You can easily walk away from the conversation for all I care. That's the type of attitude here. But notice, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, a wise person looks at a situation and says, what's right? What would God have us say? What would God have us do? What would promote Jesus Christ? What would promote the gospel? What would promote truth? That which is ultimately good. And they will say things in accordance with that. And when you say those things, you might say some pretty harsh things, right? Sometimes when we're dealing with sin and we're dealing with matters, sometimes you have to say some pretty uncomfortable things to people. And you have to expose some pretty uncomfortable things. But it's always with the sense of, I want you to repent. I want you to be walking with the Lord. I want you to live more like Jesus Christ. So there's always an intention of healing. There's always, it's not just, you've hurt me, I'm mad. It's, here's what's wrong, here's how we fix it, and it's through the word, through Jesus Christ. And so a wise person measures his words, and he goes, what's the best thing to say here that will bring about repentance? What's the best thing to say here that will promote Jesus Christ and the gospel? By the way, just notice the power of words here, and notice that you know, I, I, we've heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I don't know who said that, and I don't know what world they lived on. I'll be honest, sometimes I'd rather somebody hit me with a stick than some of the words that they say. Because sometimes those words that are said stick with you for the rest of your life. And it's possible even as we as believers can say things from the flesh and derail people, derail them, the opposite is true. We as believers can say something that promotes Jesus Christ, says something that's good, of good repute, that's true, said in a heart of, 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 of love, and people will come back and say, that was the most important thing that someone has ever said to me. So just notice the power of words and how words can be used. They can either be used as a weapon or they can be used as a surgical knife to do heart surgery, right? It's an, ama- it's an amazing truth, an amazing truth. And, and, and so we as believers need to be careful with what we say and how we say what we say. Because we can say something that could really hurt someone. Or we could say something that could really help someone. And as believers, shouldn't we want to love our neighbor? And by loving our neighbor, doesn't that mean that we say things that are true and loving? Even if sometimes that truth is, may sound harsh, of course, but that it comes from a heart that says, I want you to be like Christ. And my heart is that I want you to, to repent. Oh, that's, how, that's how we as believers should talk. That's how we should think about conversations. We don't, right? We sin. And when we do say something that's not the best, we should go back and apologize, 
we should confess that sin and we should repent of that sin. There's a lot of churches that have a lot of church splits over things that were rashly said, unwisely said, said from an arrogant point of view, and there was never anything said, anything done to make reconciliation, and now there's bitterness and fights and feuds. It's terrible. Now, this is one part of choosing our words wisely. There's another one. It's that we have to be honest. We have to tell the truth. Notice what Solomon says in verse 19. If I'm thinking about how to talk and the right words to say, the right word is always the honest word. In verse 19, he says, truthful lips will be established forever. This makes sense because if I'm talking about reality, that which is true, that's which corresponds to what is. And if I'm saying the truth and emphasizing the truth that God emphasizes, which truth will last forever, then it would make sense that if that's what I'm promoting, that that thing would last forever because it's what is. It's what's right. It's what's pleasing to the Lord. So we as believers should strive to say things that have everlasting value. The truth. So it's, it lasts forever, but a lying tongue, those people who misrepresent reality, is only for a moment. Just think of the contrast here. One lasts forever, one lasts for a moment. One establishes something, and one disappears. One is corresponding with what is, the other one is twisting what is. So it would make sense that that thing which is a twisting of reality, an alternate reality, when matched up with really reality, people would go, well, that's not true. I know that's not true. I know what it, that's reality. What you just said does not match with reality. And so therefore, it's no longer believed. Now, I know many of you are thinking in your mind, but there are people who believe on true things. And it seems like they hold on to those things forever. Remember, this is a principle, and the principle is this. The truth lasts forever, and lies do not. We can find examples that, that don't necessarily fit into this, but that's okay. We're talking about principles, and we're talking about the type of speech that we should say. I'm not necessarily concerned about people who aren't saved, who don't have the Holy Spirit, who aren't trying to live for Christ. I'm not necessarily concerned about their speech. In fact, let's be honest we shouldn't really be surprised when they say lies because they don't have the Holy Spirit. In fact, we probably should be more shocked when they say the truth, right? Whoa, that guy said the truth. But we shouldn't really be concerned about that. I, I think as believers, we're, we should be more concerned with the words that we say, right? I should be more concerned with myself and the things I say. Am I saying things that are true or am I trying to twist reality? Am I trying to state a state of facts that makes me look good, but it's not necessarily true to what actually is? And I think that's really what the idea is, that when we speak, a wise person, when they speak, they speak which is true. And those things which are true will weather the storms and will weather in time and they'll be established forever and truth will stand forever. Lies will not. Notice what else is said in verse 20. It says, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Kind of interesting that those who devise evil require deceit. It's, it's almost kind of an oxymoron to say, well, somebody's devising evil on the basis of truth. You can't do that. 
You can't devise evil on the basis of truth. You, you can only devise evil with some level of deceit. You, you, if you really want to hurt somebody, you have to have some sort of deceit. But notice what it says, but counselors of peace, those who bring people together, have joy. This morning as I was thinking about this text and I was thinking about this statement, but counselors of peace have joy. There's, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Uh, but, but let me just say this, which I think is the most important. Notice that there can be no peace without truth. You can't have peace without truth. And you can't have joy without truth. You can't believe a lie and have true satisfaction. And you can't really bring people together without truth, right? Truth is vital. As believers, we are people of truth. We care about truth, and we should strive to know truth and to speak truth. And when we strive to know truth and speak truth, guess what happens? We will know the truth, and it'll set us free. There's peace. We now have peace with God. And guess what happens when we have peace with God? There is joy from God. There is a deep sense of satisfaction knowing that I am right with the Lord. Not only that, but think about in your own relationships. How many times have have you seen situations of other people or even in your own life where somebody was not being fully honest and there was a misrepresentation of the facts and there was just constant bickering But then once the truth came out, then everybody said, you know what, you're right, I did do that, and I'm sorry, and I'm wrong. And the other party said, you know what, you're right, I did do that, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And guess what? There was peace. And guess what happens from that peace? There was joy. Remarkable, isn't it? It's remarkable, the the principles of this passage. We should be about truth, and we should be about speaking honestly. Notice the next verse in verse 21. It says, No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. I I think you almost kind of have to interpret verse 21 in light of what was said in verse 20. I I don't think this is like a promise that means if you just always do what's right, you're going to be riding unicorns over, over rainbows and it's going to be raining skittles and gumdrops for you. I don't think that's really what it is. I, I think it's the idea of all things being equal. If you do what is right and you say, you speak in a way that's appropriate and wise and you tell the truth, you're not trying to hurt people, but you're always trying to cause people to grow in Christ, you're not going to have some of the same problems that those who lie all the time, who constantly cause fights, constantly uh, uh, cause derision in, in families and relationships, they're always in trouble. It seems like the person that has wise speech will not fall into some of those same things that those who are wicked and foolish, they're always falling into. You will avoid certain pitfalls. So ultimately, we could say then in verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. As believers, we should take note to this, that it is bad to lie. We should not be liars. We should not be known as liars, and we should not we should have nothing to do with lies. And we should know that if we do lie or misrepresent the truth intentionally, that God is not pleased with that, and that our response should be repentance. And if your lie has hurt other people, you probably need to ask for forgiveness. 
God is not pleased with liars. But notice what he is. He is, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So people who are honest, people who, they're dependable, they're, they're ones who say wise things in situations, those are the people that are pleasing to the Lord. So think of this. In, in our own conversations of choosing wise words, we need to make sure that we're careful, that our words are informed by Scripture, that we should at least know what we're saying before we say it. We shouldn't necessarily fly off the handle, but we should think about the things that are about ready to come out of our mouth. And are they promoting Christ? Are they promoting God's word? Are they promoting, are they promoting healing and encouragement? Second, we should say, is it true? Is it according to reality? Am I lying? Am I misrepresenting the truth of what I'm about ready to say? Notice the next one found in verse 23, that we should choose our words discerningly. Notice in verse 23, it says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart, but the, I'm sorry, but the heart of a fool proclaims folly. There's a couple ways of thinking of this. First, you could see this passage saying, a prudent man doesn't go around telling everybody how much he knows, whereas a fool is more than willing to let you know how much he knows. That's true. A wise man knows when to say things and when not to say and even when it comes to things that he knows a wise man doesn't have to let everybody know that he's a wise person because it's kind of assumed in the way that he lives his life that he's a wise person he knows something a fool on the other hand has no wisdom and to make up for that lack of wisdom in his life he tries to demonstrate his wisdom by spouting off useless facts you know like those facts on the top of a of a snapple bottle right i don't know how many of you drink snapple but there's always those useless facts a fool is just an endless stream of Snapple facts, right? Look how much I know. Look how good I am. Look how smart I am. That's a fool. There's another sense here, too, in verse 23 of a prudent man. <clears throat> a prudent man is one who knows when to say something and when not to say something. So there are numerous times where things are said in confidence, and a prudent man knows to conceal that in confidence. There's, another, there's, there's also prudence and discernment in Somebody representing the truth, but not saying everything. Because let's be honest, sometimes you don't have to say everything. And just because you don't say everything doesn't necessarily mean that you are lying. But discernment says, okay, I know how much information to give and how much not to give. It's sad when you hear about people who have heard things in confidence, and then they spout what was said in confidence, and it ends up hurting someone else in the congregation or somebody else in a group or in a, in a town or in a society, that is bad because it was given as a trusted, I, I was kind of given this to you in confidence and they expose it. And then there's sometimes where I've even found where people will say things to me in confidence and I, as I hear it, I go, you know what? I don't know if I alone should know this. And sometimes discernment is going to that person and saying, look, you need to tell so-and-so, and you need to tell so-and-so, and I'll go with you. But this is a lot bigger than just you and myself. We need a couple more minds on this to think about this. That's all discernment, and, that, and that, that's, that, that's wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowing a whole bunch of stuff. It's that ability to look at the situation, to see what is right, to look at God's word and to measure what is right from God's word and then say, this is the right thing to say at the right time. And sometimes that means I don't have to say 
anything at all. Sometimes that's the wisest thing you can do. As a young pastor, I I, uh, was meeting with one older pastor, and I said, what do you do? And sometimes in a funeral situation, and he said, Caleb, sometimes there's really nothing to say. Sometimes there's people who are grieving, and you know all of this theological facts that you know will help them. But at that particular moment, when they find out that so-and-so has just died, or their loved one has just died, the spirit in which you say certain truths are not received in the way that they're given. So you could tell them, look, God is sovereign. God loves you. He's always there for you. You can always go to him and you can pray. That's true. That's right. But sometimes just saying nothing and just being there is better. Well, how do we know what those times are? Discernment, wisdom, right? That's what, that's what I think Solomon's getting after. He's not giving us a, when this happens, you do this. It's you need to have wisdom because situations are different. So as we think about words, I often think of words a lot like electricity. You know, if, if somebody wires a house correctly and wires it up to electricity in the correct way, it's an incredible benefit to everybody inside the house, right? The appliances work, the bill is low, all the stuff you plug into the wall works when you want it to work, you're able to refrigerate your food, you're not electrocuted, you're able to live and survive when it gets cold, it's able to warm you up, and when it gets too hot, it's able to cool you down. Electricity can be a great benefit when used properly. But I think all of us know that if you do not wire a house properly, or you use electricity in an improper way, it can have the opposite effect, right? It can really hurt people. It can really hurt a lot of things. You can destroy appliances. You could burn down houses. You could electrocute people. And I find that words are often a lot like electricity. You can say the right word at the right time and it'd be a great benefit. You can say words that are carefully chosen, that are honest, with discernment, and people grow from it, and, they, and, and you, 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 you promote the Lord Jesus Christ, and they, they repent and they walk with the Lord, and that's great. Or we can say things in a way that's very hurtful, and instead of building them up, we burn the house to the ground. So friends, I think the advice would be we should be careful with what we say and we should choose our words wisely and we should have our words informed by scripture and by the spirit. Now, it's kind of ironic that in my sermon on words, I have said way too many. (laughs) And it's kind of interesting that my last point of maybe sometimes it's better just to be quiet. Um, But I I say all that to say that we're about ready to have the Lord's table, and I understand that uh, this might take a little bit longer time. So if you have to leave, there will be no judgment by me or anyone else. But we also would like to partake in the Lord's Supper at this time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Greg to come up. And as Greg comes up uh, and the musicians to come up, they'll be playing songs, and Greg and I will be handing out these uh, 